0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. Today, we have a very, very special guest, Samson Mao. Uh, I have so many questions, so many things to ask him. But before we jump into it, I do want to give a shout out to the Bitcoin company that makes this show possible. Swan Bitcoin is the best place to build your Bitcoin stack. It's being built by Bitcoiners. It's for Bitcoiners. Go to swanbitcoin.com today. Start that DCA plan. Anyways, no more delay. I want to bring Samson up on stage. Samson, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off, just jump straight into it. You are saying $1 million Bitcoin. Um, what, what's the logic behind that? Well, in like, not only $1 million Bitcoin, which we all know is going to come eventually, but $1 million Bitcoin in a very, very short amount of time.
1: Right. So I think the key message I'm trying to get across is that the macro environment has fundamentally changed. And then i did some analysis and other people like macronaut and bitpain and others have also done the math too and bitcoin going up 20x is not a difficult thing it's done it sometimes in the past so the key here is that everything is different now with the etfs with the amount of money able to flow into the bitcoin ecosystem and we can very rapidly go up to 1 million whether we stay there or not is a different question but just the lack of supply because we are constrained There's about 1.4, maybe 1.6 million BTC on exchanges right now. That's not a lot. And at some point it's going to dry up, especially at the rate at which the ETFs are hoovering up all the coins at the moment.
0: Gotcha, and so I'm I'm assuming based on that statement, you do not believe in the diminishing returns theory because that is one of the narratives this cycle. You know, every cycle you have different narratives, right? Uh, One of the big narratives by the crowd is this idea of Bitcoin has diminishing returns. You know, I think a lot of people have PTSD from the last cycle of us not breaking 100k. I have my theories. I think it was the China ban that played a huge role in that. Um, So. I'm assuming you don't believe in the diminishing returns theory.
1: Not really. I mean, we talk often about hyper Bitcoinization and if you believe in hyper Bitcoinization, then it's impossible to believe in diminishing returns because there should be no cycles to Bitcoin. If you're going to reach the point of hyper Bitcoinization, whereby we replace all fiat money, then there is nothing to go back to. So what are you measuring the returns in? Right. If the U.S. dollar no longer exists, then how can you have diminishing returns? So I guess there's two parts there. One is, will there be another cycle? And I'm not really sure. Like, just because we had three similar looking cycles in the past does not mean that we're always going to have this cycle. Right. Because it's like flipping a coin. You get heads three times doesn't mean the next time it's more likely you're going to get tails. It's a, a different it's a different equation every single time and the other part is well if uh, bitcoin does replace fiat then there is no diminishing returns you're just bitcoin now so it's not really possible to measure
0: returns gotcha gotcha interesting very very interesting um and then so let's talk a little bit about the etf uh you are mentioning earlier but i, I want to back that up and i just want to comment on the absolute disaster release uh the behavior by the SEC, the tweet the early tweet and then it was deleted and then the next day it was approved and then the very vengeful spiteful post by gary gensler i'm sure elizabeth warren was tapping on his shoulder um so what's your take on that Uh, what's your opinion (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I think it's highly likely Gary going to lose his job, but that was probably the worst possible way they could have handled it. And even just getting to this point where they denied it for pretty much close to a decade is another big kerfuffle. So, I mean, if they had approved it on a reasonable timeline, let's say five years ago, they probably wouldn't have had that debacle at the launch now. But it is what it is, and I'm just glad it's all out of the way. But um, there's probably no way it could have gone any worse than it went. <laughs> because like, if you did mess up and the announcement did look OK, does it really matter if someone wrote it for you or if it was a pre-drafted, unapproved tweet? I don't know all the details, but no one will. But uh, it would have been better to just ride on it and say, yeah, it's launched now because you launched it the next day and then you would have saved so much face and save yourself from so much embarrassment just by saying yeah it's uh, approved
0: 100% and i also like tweeted out like some type of meme um, it, it, was, it wasn't really a meme, but it was just a picture of the Bitcoin price graph and it just a wick up and then a wick down. And, um, and then I put consumer protection brought to you by the SEC. <laughs> uh, so they, it seems like they failed <laughs> the job that they were supposed to do. And then it got worse than that, Samson, because essentially, if you look back on their tweets, it's like, don't trust anything Unless it comes from the SEC's official handle. And then it said something like, uh, make sure to turn off your 2FA. And then it was discovered by Twitter that they didn't have their 2FA on. Like, super projection.
1: I I did a a satire tweet and I I wrote, uh, you know, breaking SEC's delaying ETF approvals until Q2 because uh, compromised social media accounts can result in uh, market manipulation and extreme volatility. And uh, a lot of people ping me after that in DM saying, you should delete that because it's too real. <laughs> so I did delete it. And then uh, yeah, whatever, like some, some other guys posted it. But it, it's pretty funny. Like they could have done that and said, yeah, well, it's a, it's a risk. So we can't approve it yet.
0: <laughs> Do you think that's like a like a representation and in- of of like the (laughs) how do i say this nicely i don't think you can say it nicely Do do you think it's a representation of like the inefficiencies of of this very very bloated government that's been funded by this money printer for all these decades and decades and decades the u.s government's like one of the biggest employers in the world you know at this point So do you think that's a representation of that? Uh, Like, if that's happening on the top echelon, the top levels, I can't even imagine what's happening, you know, on the lower, lower levels of that.
1: Well, it comes down to what can the government actually do? Can the government and these agencies actually protect anybody? And the answer is probably not, right? They're able to retroactively implement some policy, right? Like... Take your shoes off when you go through uh, the scanner at the airport and all that stuff. But they can't preemptively do anything to protect people, and it really shows the the inability really shows in the fact that we have what nineteen thousand or twenty thousand altcoins on the market now, and you know that they they never did go after Ethereum when they did their ICO because they weren't equipped, educated, or ready to do so at the time. And they're still not doing anything. So the proliferation of all this stuff that harms people, that actually does harm people, is not something they can do anything about. They're just not able to. So I think you're you're right that these things, these agencies and institutions are not very effective at what they're supposed to be doing.
0: 100%. And do, do you think that... The altcoins are here to stay because that's another thing where right? some of the you know some of the charges whether it was on Kraken or Coinbase, the SEC did mention that you know some of these altcoins are you know they they see them as securities. Of course, for some reason they left Ethereum out. but Perhaps they donated too much money, but you know very popular ones like Cardano and I can't even the whole shitcoin laundry to put it nicely. Um. So do you uh? like do you see the do you, do you foresee that as an issue right that the that these altcoins are really not just going to go away in the united states
1: it's hard to say i mean the problem is it's a losing battle like they they'd have to hire a lot of people to go after all these projects right and i think that is the uh, the main deterrent to them taking any significant action because the sec doesn't want to lose in court and Sadly, they pursue things like blocking ETFs and they go to court for that and they lose for that. And I think that takes some wind out of their sails to actually go after the actual nefarious stuff and stuff that could actually make a difference. So it's hard to say, but I mean, it's the the biggest problem, I think, is uneven enforcement. Right. You have some enforcement, some selective enforcement on things that they think that they can get an easy win under their belt for Um, like like. I don't know, something more innocuous, like library right there. It's like a content platform token or whatever. But then they don't go after the really big stuff. And that is the, the biggest impact and harm that can be caused to investors. So we'll see. I mean, when Gary's gone and someone replaces him, we'll see what happens. But it's hard to say that if they will actually do anything meaningful ever.
0: Yeah. And, and that was a really good point that you brought up, which is the amount of resources. And it was actually Hester Pierce, also SEC commissioner. She said, she's like the, the millions of dollars that was spent trying to delay this for political reason uh, reasons rather than trying to, uh, you know, actually focus on other things. So that was a really good point. Now I want to get your take on this, Samson. So obviously the regulatory environment in the U.S., Um, has been interesting to say the least the last two years, right? We know the current administration, uh, you know, is not a big fan of the industry. And then it was actually yesterday, which I think it was a pretty historical moment. In my opinion, not only did you have Javier Malay dropping bomb, I don't know why they allowed him to have that speech, right? Uh, dropping bombs at the Contillionaire conference, AKA the world economic forum. And, uh, you had Donald Trump out of all people, not quite Bitcoin friendly. But advocating against central bank digital currencies, which the current administration is actually a big fan of. Uh, so clearly in terms of the Overton window, it is shifting, right? Which is a really good thing for Bitcoiners. Uh, what's your take on the current regulatory environment? Does it concern you? Um, you know, the, the Not to mention Elizabeth Warren's bill, just currently 20 uh, uh, senators signed up for 20% of the U.S. Senate uh, and a couple Republicans in there as well. Uh, So what's your take on that? Is that just a temporary thing? Do you think we're just in the beginning of the then they fight you stage?
1: I mean, they've been fighting us for some time, but yeah, it's interesting dynamic that's come to play here. And I was going to tweet about it yesterday, but I ran out of time. But I think Donald Trump tweeting about his stance, talking about his stance about being against CBDCs is actually massive. And like you said, it is a big shifter of of the Overton window, whereas most politicians and governments were like, hey, this is innovative and it's to help you. Now it's like, this is bad. It's been been happening for some time. I think uh, DeSantis was talking about CBDCs and talking about them in the right light, too. Um, And then uh, I think Bobby, Robert Robert Kennedy is also talking about it. There there is this uh, percolation of sentiment against CBDCs, but Trump blasting out there is is very significant because, you know, he's definitely a, he's the Republican candidate probably now. So I think it has a lot of weight. And um, in terms of all the other anti-Bitcoin sentiment, I don't really think it matters. I think what we should fight for is to prevent CBDCs, because if we can stop that from coming out and really anchor that Overton window shift to be anti-CBDC, Bitcoin will win. We just have to give Bitcoin that chance to keep going. And it's a finished battle. It's a done deal. So I don't think it matters if uh, Trump is pro-Bitcoin or not, as long as he's anti-CBDC, because the market forces always will win. So I think it's a good thing that more and more politicians are taking these more pragmatic stances rather than the more... Pleasant soundbite virtue signaling path that you typically see coming out of Davos. And this is, I think, why Malay dropping that bomb of a speech was significant because one, it's at Davos, and two, it shows how much interest there is in this topic and um, manifesto of freedom that is being spread versus the traditional stuff that comes out of Davos, usually. And you see that in the view counts, right? I think he's at millions of views now and the next best one is 30,000 views or something like that. So it shows that the people want a certain topic to be discussed. They don't want you to plan the next world government and telling you to eat the bugs.
0: Yeah. And and the the thing that I find hilarious, which is, you know, you have it, his video just went viral, right? Everyone else is just they're not doing so well, but also the virtue signaling of, yeah, the environment. Everyone else is flying private on their G6. There's nothing wrong with that if you could afford a private plane. But Javier Malay, like a boss, Travels commercial, I think on Lufthansa, yeah. you know? <laughs> and then he goes in there saying freedom, you know, individualism versus collectivism. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was it was definitely a big shift. So uh, pivoting back to the spot Bitcoin ETF, uh, Samson, one uh, had a very interesting discussion with uh, Sam, uh, with Caitlin Long and Lawrence Lapard, and then with Greg Foss and James Lavish. And they're, they're on their other camp. But essentially, uh, Caitlin Long brought up the point of the dangers of rehypothecation with a spot Bitcoin ETF. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, there's always a risk of rehypothecation, and I don't think Bitcoin is immune to it just because people always, some people will always seek out the most convenient form of holding Bitcoin. And for the majority of people, it is with an ETF or with a custodian. So there is always that risk. But the benefit and the advantage that Bitcoin has is self-custody is actually quite easy, right? If you can write down 12 words, you can self custody. And if you can drive a car, I think you can write down 12 words. So it's just about getting more people into Bitcoin. And I view the ETFs as a way to orange pill more people, just like I view nation state Bitcoin adoption as a way to get more people into Bitcoin. Um, yes, the ETFs are not the ideal format for us hardcore Bitcoiners that are all about self, self custody. And Yes, it's not ideal that countries accumulate a lot of Bitcoin. It's better the people accumulate a lot of Bitcoin, but it's also a way to reach more people. So I think you have to take the good with the bad. And eventually people will learn to self custody simply because you have to pay a lot of fees. Right. Even with the low fees, the ETFs are charging. It's still significant. And you when you compound that over a number of years,
0: 100 percent. And speaking of self custody, I'm really glad that you brought that up. You just announced your new project uh, the aqua wallet uh, I'm gonna pull it up right so uh, Samson what is this why don't you give a, a quick if you can if you if you, if you can that'd be really appreciated quick elevator pitch what is the aqua wallet? Uh, first of all the website's awesome by the way. Um, so nice. what is this
1: So aqua is a Bitcoin wallet that supports layer 2 um, We We have uh, the liquid network integrated as well as the lightning Network. And we also have stable coins like USDT. And I think the differentiating factor here is we are one of the first wallets out there that actually delivers a seamless experience between all these different Bitcoin layers and assets. So your typical Bitcoin wallet might just store Bitcoin and then um, you might have a way to access some dollar derivative, but it's not uh, Tether, right? And Tether is used mostly throughout the Global South. In Latin America, they just call Tether digital dollars. They don't call it Tether. So that's the level of dominance that it has. And I think most wallets don't appreciate that or understand that. And that's why they're not supporting it. And we end up losing a lot of transaction volume and AUM of Tether to the altcoin chains. And the goal is that we can bring that back to Bitcoin because, well, when you're storing USDT on on your aqua wallet, it's on the liquid chain. there's no need to buy tron or ethereum or any altcoin to send that around and in fact we have a feature coming out soon which will let you pay for USDT, usdt transactions with usdt so you don't even need uh liquid bitcoin to send it and i think this is a way for us to get more people in latin america into the bitcoin ecosystem because a lot of them are looking for digital dollars and they may not be using bitcoin but i mean it's just a short hop and a jump to get to Bitcoin and Aqua features Bitcoin very prominently as a savings account and a spending account. So that's the idea really to drive a lot of people into the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, but yeah, we we support uh, right now, Liquid and Lightning. Um, Lightning is mainly a rail so you can send and receive on Lightning. We do uh, submarine swaps with Bolt, so it's trustless and then your funds are stored in liquid bitcoin so you don't have to deal with any channel management and things like that so it's um it's a pretty good set of trade-offs i think to deliver accessible layer 2 bitcoin to the average user
0: yeah and and i love the the tether integration aspect of it because um so my cousin launched a exchange in central and south america and Currently in in Colombia, he's, he's doing volume and and I was like, hey, so what what are you selling? Like you know, are people buying altcoins or people buying Bitcoin. He's like, Nico, ninety nine percent of my business is OTC Tether transactions, right? And I think that they have yeah. uh they, like one of the only approvals from the central bank in Colombia. And is telling me he's like, it's tether tether. People just want that you know that stability versus their local currency. So the fact that I think you have that Tether integration, then not to mention the fact that I think Tether on certain chains is actually extremely expensive. So that this wallet fixes that, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, liquid Tether transactions are about 10 cents or now, something like that right now. And uh, we have some plans in the works to decrease it by a factor of 10. So it should be about one cent. Most Tron wallets charge a dollar for Tether on Tron. And Ethereum can go up to you know $13 to $20, depending on the state of the chain. So I think there's a big advantage here. And plus, you have confidential transactions in Liquid. So it's faster, cheaper and confidential. And I think people will learn to appreciate that over time. So we just have to start uh, pushing it. And the beautiful thing is we because we have this wallet out now, we can start to engage with local fiat on and off ramps and maybe the uh, OTC desks, like that one that you mentioned from uh, from a friend there, and tell them to support Liquid Tether because previously there's not really a good option to use
0: Liquid Tether. Yeah. And, uh and another thing, Samson, that I, I wanted to ask you, which is the obviously the regulatory environment for Tether itself, right? So you know, like <laughs> DOJ has been on a warpath, right? You know, they 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 took down. They essentially they didn't they didn't take down Binance. They co-opted Binance right um so does that worry you at all because i know if you're a bitcoiner you know that tether plays a big role in the bitcoin ecosystem um does that worry you at all in terms of potential regulatory hostility coming from uh the department of treasury or the doj
1: not really i mean the all of the that stuff has been settled a long time ago and tether doesn't operate in the us and their main focus is really the, the global south and developing markets. So I don't really think it it in it offends them in any way. I mean, the maybe they could, but then you're getting into very challenging territory. Like what could they actually do to tether? Because another country can use the dollar. Why can't you know a company that's serving global south use the dollar as well? So the question is really what happens to it? Maybe they could pass some very specific stablecoin regulation, but that would also kill the U S based stable coins as well. So I I just don't see anything happening there in terms of um, like existential risk. I really don't see anything because the tether is the, one of the largest holders of Mm U S treasuries right now. I think they're up there with countries like Mexico and others in the top 20 or top 25 of U.S.T. holders. Um, So, I mean, you could do that, but it wouldn't be, you could you could go after it and shut it all down, but it wouldn't be the smartest thing to do, especially when the demand for treasuries is dropping. So it's, well, I don't put it past any government in, administration to do that, but it doesn't make sense if you're thinking about things rationally. And also recently in Davos, the CEO of uh, Cantor Fitzgerald was on, I think Bloomberg and oh, no, CNBC, one of those. But he was saying, Tether, they have the money, we've seen it, we manage their assets. And that sort of destroys all Tether FUD, right? You have one of the largest prime dealers in the US, one of 24, one of the largest uh, capital equities companies on the planet, saying, we manage their assets. And we've seen that they have the assets. That's a very powerful thing. And it essentially destroys all of the FUD and all the narratives that have been swirling around Tether for the last decade almost. And it's also funny because Tether has always been a target of the mainstream media, Financial Times, uh, you know, every single mainstream media rag has targeted them at some point, but they could have just picked any other project like, I don't know, Celsius, BlockFi, FTX, and they would have been right, but they picked the stablecoin to go after, the one that has attestations from, a top five accounting firm saying they have assets. So none of this really makes sense. I think it's just people just trying to instill fear in the market. But Tether is a solid product and they have uh, 60,000 something BTC in their reserves right now. They recently just bought 8, 8,888 more coins. And you know, as the value of Bitcoin goes up, there's going to be a point at which their reserves are double their liabilities. So right now, I think they're at 95 billion. Uh, USDT in AUM, at probably 1.4. Assuming they keep the same amount of Bitcoin at 1.4 million dollars uh, per Bitcoin, they'll have double their liabilities.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. No, and and if if my research serves me correctly, um, I believe they have a direct account with the Fed. Like Tether has an account with the Fed as well. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. So um, interesting. Interesting. So Samson, so obviously as Bitcoiners, we want hyper Bitcoinization. We want the world to run on a Bitcoin standard. Do you see Tether as, you know, a, a stepping stone towards that? Uh, where, where, what do you see? How do you see Tether's role in, in, in the, because right now how it, you know, and if you do a little bit of research, it, it does play a very important role. Um, and, it, yeah, so, it, so what is it a step towards hyper bitcoinization?
1: Yeah. So in 2018 at some conference, I think I was on stage and I said Tether, it was a panel of stable coins. I remember a few other stablecoin uh, people there. I'm not sure why I was on that panel, but they put me on the panel. But I was talking about Tether and I said, Tether is a mid step towards hyper bitcoinization. It's a way for people to get into this ecosystem and then move on to Bitcoin, because not everyone has a bank account. Tether serves as the last mile for banking for much of the world. Like the, we have the situation of people that are unbanked. And yes, we can bank them with Bitcoin, but you can also bank them with Tether on on Liquid or other chains if you must. But the fact is, you can get people access to the financial system through this mechanism. And it's not rational to think everyone's going to suddenly jump into Bitcoin. That's more of a, a Western perspective, like people that think that probably have a bank account, and they can make SEPA transfers or interact or uh, ACH or whatever. But you have to remember, there are billions of people in the world that can't do any of that. And they do want digital dollars. And this is why tether is so dominant in the global south, because they're they're looking for something to protect themselves from inflation and hyperinflation. But Bitcoin seems far off for them. But a dollar is something that they're familiar with. Like most people know what a dollar is. That's why it's the reserve currency. And Tether gives them access to that reserve currency. So I think you need to be willing to accept that Tether is an important part to get to hyperbitcoinization. And I, I've talked to Paulo before too. He doesn't believe that you know Tether, the stablecoin, they do a lot more now. They have energy and mining and a lot of other things. But he doesn't think the stable coin will exist forever because the dollar won't exist forever, too. So I think we're more or less all on the same wavelength that stable coins are a midstep to getting towards. hyper.
0: gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. And, you know, that, that's what's really interesting about, you know, the Aqua Wallet is that it has Tether there. And Samson, if people were interested in downloading this, where could they find it?
1: Yeah, you can get it on the iOS App Store and on Google Play and just search for Aquawallet. Um, the safest way is probably to go to our website, aquawallet.io, and find the links there um, in case, you know, the app store has put up a fake one, which is getting more and more common these Opti, days. Opti, could
0: you pull up the link uh, while Samson and I keep keep talking? And another thing, Samson, that I want to talk to you about um, is uh, January 3rd, right? So Jan 3rd, specifically. Um, so obviously the mission, and you, le- you left Blockstream, which is an amazing company and you dedicated your life which i think is absolutely badass i might add uh to nation state adoption of bitcoin we've seen uh some amazing uh recent developments out of honduras uh what do you know about that and what can we expect from the region
1: in in honduras Uh,
0: uh yes like what can you what what is the what is the current state of bitcoin nation state adoption i'll put it like that i'll say it like that
1: okay So we are engaged um, in a number of countries and the level of the discussions varies from place to place. But last year we went to um, uh, Montenegro, met with the prime minister there. We were in Colombia, met with the president there. We were in Suriname, met with the president there and the central bank. Uh, Also in Colombia, we met with the largest bank too. But I, I think... The important thing about jan 3's mission of uh, accelerating Bitcoin adoption and in working with governments and politicians and regulators is that we can get the message out there about Bitcoin and we can educate them about what Bitcoin is. And then we can also talk about why CBDCs are bad and other topics, too. So I think it's a, a useful tool to educate a lot of the world. And if we can get countries to adopt Bitcoin, then like we talked about before, we can have more people learning about Bitcoin, just like in El Salvador, when the government implemented their Bitcoin law and their digital securities law. Well, that onboards a lot of people into Bitcoin that otherwise would not have bothered or even cared cared to. So the implication really is um, we have uh, countries that adopt Bitcoin, but at uh, a lower level, a really good outcome is that they don't have bad legislation. Like banning self custody or self hosted wallets or things like that, so I think the work that we are doing is quite important in the path to
0: hyperbitcoinization. And so, and w- that started off very strong, right? So you had the the monumental, and I never I never forget this conference it was the first Bitcoin conference I spoke at. Uh, you know, Bitcoin 2021. Um, and you had that amazing announcement, uh, Max Kaiser, Michael Saylor on stage, f Elon, you know the whole, uh, all those moments, right? And um, you had the video announcement from Naim Bukele basically saying we're going to make Bitcoin legal tender. And then it it seemed like the general consensus is it seems like it it slowed down a little bit after that after that. Um, I have a theory on that. I think. Uh, El Salvador caught them by surprise, and then all of a sudden, uh, I think they're a little bit, they have their 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 brace for impact. Um, So what's your thoughts on this? Like, you know, are are you seeing pushback from governments? Are they, you know, is the IMF in there? Is the World Bank like, no, 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 no. Uh, So what are your thoughts? And of course, Naim Bukele is a is a great leader. You have someone who's very, very convicted in his beliefs and not to mention the fact that the popularity he has in his electorate is extremely high. He's the most popular president in the Americas. So, um, you know, what's your take on that? Are we gonna see uh, a country this cycle uh, follow the steps of El Salvador?
1: Yeah, so El Salvador took uh, the large brunt of, I guess, um, animosity from the IMF on all of their Bitcoin things. And fortunately, they did really well for themselves, right? They. Boosted their economy, their GDP, uh, their traditional bonds are rallying. So there's not that much that the IMF can say because everything they've done has been a success. So I think it makes it easier for subsequent countries to implement a Bitcoin strategy without fearing too much of the ire of the IMF. Basically, they 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 went at the king right? and they have one shot, but <laughs> they they lost. So. Like, what can they say with the next country? Like You shouldn't do that because Salvador is successful. I mean, they could, but it doesn't make any sense. And if you look at the the media and all their publications, a lot of it has quieted down. The IMF is not criticizing them anymore. And I think with good reason. So it makes it easier for us as Jan3 to go and talk to the different countries and say, well, you can do a Bitcoin strategy. And it's OK because IMF is not going to say anything now. I'm I'm sure when they do it, there'll be a little bit of saber rattling. But at the end of the day, countries have to look out for their own best interests, not the interests of the IMF to keep loan sharking. Right. So that is really a litmus test. Can the leader of a country take the decisions that that are in the best interest and get that country out of debt, out of subservience and be sovereign? And the interesting trend that we're seeing now is we're, we're seeing politicians come out and talk about this. And you can take that with a grain of salt. But that is the trend like Malay with uh, Bobby Kennedy, and a number of others. So the tide seems to be shifting towards more about pragmatism and being actually sovereign countries.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree. I, th- I think it's the things are definitely shifting. Um, and not only in the political sphere, but also on an individual level, I think people are starting to question the, the old, just, just cause like, to be frank, like the amount of BS that has come out, um, you know, over the last five years and just how they're the SEC, how they, how they handled that is a great example. Right. And I think people are just questioning the very, uh, what should be what should the role of government be in my life? Um, and I think uh, I think that's good for Bitcoin. Everything's good for Bitcoin. Um, so, uh, Samson, I, I don't even know what is wh- how do you go about, you know, orange pilling a nation? How do you go about uh, convincing a nation to adopt Bitcoin? I did. I remember I, I did see those pictures with you and the president of, of Colombia. So how do you approach that?
1: Well. We have a lot of help. So we have this network of Jan 3 associates in all these different countries that help us open doors, and it's really just ordinary people like plebs and Bitcoiners from all walks of life that want to help and they have a connection to somebody that might know somebody. And then eventually we work our way up through meetings and discussions and then we get that in person meeting and hopefully we get some real Bitcoin strategies coming out of that. And this is what we're mainly focused on for 2024. Following up on all the things that were started in 2023 and just getting that next step. But it's really encouraging because I think with the uh, ETFs being approved, with uh, Bitcoin price action going up, it makes it easier and it makes people more interested in Bitcoin. It's the Veblen effect, right? So when Bitcoin is down at 16 or 15, nobody wants it. But when it's up, then people are interested in it again. So we have to use that and use what's in our favor to leverage that and take advantage of that.
0: Absolutely. And the, the the question I have for you, right, is, so let's say a government has a very strong currency, like, you know, like the, the United States or, you know, the European Union or, you know, Switzerland, for example. Um, what incentive does the government there have to uh, adopt something like Bitcoin? Because it essentially would be a competitor to, their fiat currency and then of course we all know that governments all around the world love to deficit spend love to ha- spend money that they don't have and they do that via money printing so what incentive does you know uh, do, do these countries have to uh not only make bitcoin legal tender but even put bitcoin on equal footing to their to their currencies cuz then at that point it's game over right um it's it's just like you said about you know Donald Trump it's it's not necessarily important for him to be you know advocating for for bitcoin the market forces are going to do their thing just him stopping cbdcs just gives us time right so yeah. um yeah well, what incentive do uh how do you approach that in the first place
1: well it's 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 challenging because if you have a strong fiat currency you're not incentivized to do anything with bitcoin unless you're able to see past the short term and understand that all fiat currencies will fail eventually. It's just a matter of time, right? And it's all relative to one another. Everything is sort of pegged to the US dollar in some way. So if the US dollar goes and that's getting more and more likely, if you look at debt and the amount that you have to pay to service that debt, it is starting to get very cumbersome. Like they cannot keep paying hundreds of billions of dollars to service this debt that's going to keep ballooning because just like with compound interest. Well, it is compound interest, but it's compound interest on debt, which is just as powerful as compound interest on savings, right? So it's not a really good situation, I think, for the whole fiat system. And if you can see further ahead, a few steps ahead, then you would want to make a Bitcoin strategy and implement some form of Bitcoin holdings, either at the central bank or through mining. And this is what we're advising countries to do because you can see that you're future proofing your country against the fiat collapse. But it is challenging. And I think this is why we don't really pursue a wealthy, well, quote unquote, wealthy Western nations to to pursue a Bitcoin strategy. We more focus on Latin America and other countries that need Bitcoin. And they have the um, demand for it right now because they, they need money, they need to build roads and infrastructures or anything like that. So we just go where we're more needed and we'll be opportunistic and we'll, we'll try to work with Western countries. But it's really an uphill battle because it's so insular and they're, they're so unaware of the, the fiat money system. But there are inroads, right? So in Germany, you have uh, Bitcoin in Bundestag, uh, Bitcoin in Parliament, and this uh, initiative that's set up to educate the politicians in the Bundestag. And I'll be going there to speak um, later this year. And they have a, a stellar lineup of uh, all these other speakers like um, Block Trainer and other guys. So we'll go and we'll try to educate the, uh, the parliament and see what we can do. But it's not like we're going, not for Gen, for Gen 3, we're not going to you know, go all in and focus on the Western countries. We'll, we'll do what we can. But the efforts, uh, the biggest payoff for our efforts is probably in the Global South, in Latin America, and maybe Africa and other countries.
0: Gotcha. I mean, so some being from Venezuela, originally, um, my parents and my background, um, I understand the culture a little bit and I completely a hundred percent agree with you. And I I had Jeff, Jeff Booth on maybe a couple months ago or so. And he said something very similar. He said, I'm optimistic about the global South because they're farther away from the benefits of, you know, being able to print their own money. Right. If yeah. you're someone like Argentina. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I said this as a joke the other day when, when Malay got elected. I'm like, guys, now we have a blueprint. All we need is 150 percent inflation and we can get a libertarian elected. Um, but uh, but yeah, I 100 percent agree. Uh, could you drop uh, some hints? Maybe I don't want to put you in a corner. Uh, what uh, what, uh, you know, Latin American country you're optimistic about.
1: Uh, well, have to see. I mean, I'm optimistic about all the countries we've had engagements with because the presidents there are very receptive, but they are not Bitcoiners yet, right? So the benefit, and I think part of the misalignment of uh, expectations is, in El Salvador, the President Bukele was a Bitcoiner that became president. We're starting from zero, so the presidents in these countries are not Bitcoiners. First, we're trying to get them there. So it'll take more time, and even if we get them there, there's still a lot of um, bureaucracy to deal with to implement things, and different factions and uh, different ideologies at play. So it's it is a really challenging road, but we are here for the long run. right We' never expected we're going to get a ton of countries like tomorrow, but we can engage with a ton of countries, and of that we should have a subset relatively soon doing some concrete Bitcoin projects maybe mining. If not legal tender, maybe it's mining, right? But actually better than legal tender is what Malay did in Argentina mm-hmm. with this deregulation. You can use whatever you want and let the free market compete. So there's all these different paths towards Bitcoin adoption, and we just have to be strategic and choose the best ones that we can push forward.
0: How do you feel about the fee environment? So Bob Burnett, good friend of mine, came on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he said, that, you know, the era of low fees is over. Now we're heading into an area era of, you know, this is the most valuable real estate on the planet. Uh, you're going to, you know, potentially have a high fee environment moving forward in Bitcoin's history. And, you know, that prices out a lot of people in a way, right? So, you know, let's say you want to have a hundred dollars with the big, let's say Bitcoin's at, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars, and you want to buy a hundred dollars with the Bitcoin, you know, just to send that hundred dollars, you're going to be paying a, a, uh, you know, big chunk of that. Right. So, you know, of course, you know, been in Bitcoin for eight years now, Sam, so I'm sure you've been in Bitcoin a lot longer. Um, that's okay for us. We're just like, fine. But you know, for I- 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 is Bitcoin for everyone. Like, you know, like w- what happens to someone who just wants to buy a small portion and their feed out?
1: Yeah. Bitcoin is for everyone. And, um, the fees are going to be an issue if you want to transact on-chain. But fortunately, we do have things like Layer 2s, like Lightning, like Liquid, that can enable people to transact. Also, uh, Fediments too. Um, so I think the way that we will onboard most people is through some combination of Lightning plus uh, a Fediment or a Liquid Federation because that is really the only way, right? I did some testing when we launched Aqua with some of the non-custodial Lightning wallets. Or sorry, there's one more path too, which is custodial Lightning. But that's challenging in and of itself because uh, you can see wallets like Wallet of Satoshi being removed from app stores or they're self-removing themselves from app stores in certain jurisdictions. So the, the key is that Lightning is bound to the main chain, right? It works really well when it's relatively cheap on the main chain. But as soon as fees go up, it all breaks. And this is why uh, having a, a midstep in between lightning and the main chain, like, lightning, like liquid, is useful because you can go down to liquid and come back up. And what we've seen is a lot of people have started using that use case. They're using PeerSwap swap um, to rebalance channels or they're using bolts to uh, rebalance as well. And bolts uh, volumes for lightning rebalancing are through the roof on liquid. And I think this is really the only way because if you go to look at some of the non-custodial Lightning wallets out there, uh, they'll charge you one percent to open a channel, or some minimum fee of like eleven dollars. So you can't really just get someone in, I don't know, Colombia, to download a Lightning wallet and send them a couple of Sats if it's non-custodial, right? The only way to do that is with something like Wallet of Satoshi, or with Aqua, because we will swap to Liquid. But if you want them to be you know, in the ideal Bitcoin operation, uh, area of, uh, self-custody and everything and non-custodial, then it's not really possible unless you're willing to pay $11 to send someone a hundred sats.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think you, 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 buried the lead there for, for a second, Samson, So you're saying that if you can download Aqua, Aqua wallet right now, you could start receiving lightning transactions, very little fees similar experience to wallet of satoshi
1: yeah exactly so right now it's it's not ideal for that size of a transaction like sending uh less than a thousand sats because it is an atomic swap and it is um it is a swap to liquid so there is like uh probably a 20 19 cent fee right now to send and receive but we are working on an update that will allow us to use unconfidential transactions or non-confidential transactions on liquid and that will decrease the cost by a factor of 10 so you'll be able to do that for you know, two cents maybe and i think that's this gives you that same wallet of satoshi experience where you can say hey uh, download the uh, aqua and i'll send you a uh, thousand sats or two thousand Sats."
0: gotcha very very cool uh that is really interesting um i Really, really want to play around with it now and just kind of experiment. Um, so I, I I, do want to ask you this, Samson. So, um, well, that just got me so excited. I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So part of the reason that uh, the wallet of Satoshi pulled out of the U.S. was... And, and there, I posted this the other day, by the way, on Twitter. Um, and it was like... It, and of course, they were trolling in this, but it says, we're not available in the app stores in China, U.S. and North Korea. Like it was such a like that's such a strong statement. Um, it is. And if, I, I, the reason that I believe they pulled out is because of the DOJ press conference with Binance when they literally mentioned terrorism 15 times, even though we know that less than 1% of illicit finance is you know, used Bitcoin. But that is a great excuse for government. Right. So is is this like a custod? Is this custodial? Is it self custodial? Um, uh, How does the Aqua? How's Aqua Wallet work?
1: Yeah. So Aqua is uh, non custodial. So when you create a wallet. Uh, you have one seed that generates your Bitcoin wallet and your liquid wallet
0: and that hold on. And, and that's associated. So obviously, the, the main wallet, of course, is not custodial, but I'm saying the lightning wallet as well is not custodial.
1: There is no lightning wallet. So it's swapping from lightning to liquid. So Ooh. liquid is what's holding that balance. And then you swap back out when you send out over lightning again.
0: Okay. And could you explain, because I know that lightning is very, very popular amongst Bitcoiners, but Liquid's always been around for a while now, uh, but it seems like the use case is starting to ramp up. And of course, people are looking looking at it now. Um, What is Liquid?
1: So Liquid is a Bitcoin sidechain. It's a layer two of Bitcoin. And I think some people were critiquing, saying it's not a layer two. But I mean, when when Blockstream started developing sidechains and uh, Liquid, this is like in 2014, 2015, we're all calling it layer two. So we're calling it layer two before many of these people that say it's not a layer two even knew about Bitcoin. So <laughs> it's kind of funny that way. But it, it's a side chain. So it's another chain that's anchored to Bitcoin. It's the almost the same code base. It's like 99% the same as Bitcoin, except for you have assets in there and other things like confidential transactions. And Liquid and that software suite has largely been a testing ground for a lot of things that eventually do make their way to Bitcoin, like SegWit and other things. So um, it's it's definitely very tightly bound to Bitcoin. So when you want to get one Bitcoin in liquid, you have to peg in one Bitcoin from the main chain. So it's always a one to one relationship. You can't have fractional Bitcoin in liquid. So once you have that, then you can transact it with uh, one minute block times. Uh, fees are about 19 cents or so, and you have confidentiality. So when you send someone a transaction, you can't actually see the amount or asset type that they're sending, which gives a lot of privacy benefits to users.
0: Absolutely, and and so another thing you 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 mentioned this I think in your tweet in regards to the one million dollar Bitcoin that it was going to be painful. I feel like the and 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 I'm sure you read this right, Ben the Carman's post in relation to the state of Lightning. Um, I don't think we're ready for, you know, this hyper Bitcoinization. I don't think we're ready. Bitcoin is ready for this massive influx of of users, you know. Um, So what would you say on that?
1: Probably not. And that's uh, (laughs) the basis of Max Payne theory. So the best case scenario, I think, is Bitcoin price goes up very gradually towards a million over a number of years. And we all have a lot of time to stack sats and build out everything that's needed and Max Payne theory says, well, you probably won't have that time. It's going to be a mad scramble and you know, we won't be ready with the uh, layer twos and all the wallets. We won't be ready to onboard all the people. And a lot of clubs uh, out there that have been DCing are going to get stuck with uh, unspendable UTXOs because fees are now, I don't know, 100,000 sats or something like that. So that's the idea. like." it's probably going to happen and catch us off guard and we're, we're all going to be unprepared. That's the basis of Max Pain theory.
0: So, okay. And then l- let me ask you something. Why are you, <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, so why are you, okay. Max Pain theory. And then could you explain the theory? Like where, where does it come from?
1: It's, uh, I think, it comes from uh, options expiry. There's a certain point in which the options options expire. That's max pain. Like uh, that'll cause the most losses for the most number of people. So you can apply that, I think, to uh, Bitcoin in the world at 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 whole. So if uh, Bitcoin does shoot up to one million, that's probably max pain for the largest number of people, because instead of being able to make a material difference in your financial financial economic situation by acquiring a lot of Bitcoin, the uh, contillionaires are going to buy up all the Bitcoin, drive the price up, and you'll still have this divide between the rich and the poor instead of that being equalized. So basically, 8 billion people are not going to be able to get in early. They're just going to be earning Bitcoin at one M per BTC.
0: Interesting. Okay, so, okay. And you think and you said something really interesting, which is the the almost as if Bitcoin would be an equalizer between, you know, because right now the wealth inequality is caused literally because of the fiat money printer. Right. The more money they print, the lower middle classes are saving and earning in fiat and the wealthier are saving in assets. Therefore, they benefit from asset inflation. Um, They get richer and then everyone else just gets left behind. Uh, and, and you think Bitcoin is a, will fix that?
1: Well, it will fix that in some ways. But if the price rises very rapidly, then you lose some of that fixing effect because mm. you're not going to get Bitcoin at sub one million anymore. You'll be getting it at you know, a million or more even, right? Sam, so, so you're
0: making me incredibly bullish right now. <laughs> also, <laughs> the, en- the
1: energy is coming through the screen. <laughs> well, is the price going up? That's the test. <laughs> it, it is. It, it
0: actually went from 40,000 40, to, now it's back to 41.5. <laughs> yeah,
1: but the main point is all of this is a rounding error, right? If you believe that Bitcoin is going to become the new base currency of a financial system and the money of the world, then it doesn't matter if it's a zero point 0.4 million per Bitcoin or if it's 0.5 million per Bitcoin.
0: Okay. And so, and I, by the way, I'm obviously, my, my, show's name is simply Bitcoin. I'm, I'm on the camp of hyper Bitcoinization. Um, what, what is the timeline here? So are we talking about million dollar Bitcoin with, you, you know, you're saying basically very, very soon, but let's say it takes a little bit longer. Let's say we take the, the least painful route or uh, the less painful route, right? Um, and give everyone an opportunity to stack, you know, cheaper sats. Um, and I, by the way, I love the denominator thing. I think it's absolutely hilarious. And I'm going to adopt it myself to 0.04. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, but it, it, let's say, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit slower. You know, it, uh, I think it was Kathy Wood that released her base, her her bear, her base, her bowl. Her bear was 250K. Her Her base was 650K and her bull was 1.5 and this was by the year 2030 um where do you stand on that
1: um well i think it it should reach something like a million within the next uh, year i would say that's my more Oh my god <laughs> estimate. and the reason why i put it i front loaded it and i said it'll be very very soon before the having is because typically we make new all-time high new we make new all-time highs after the having after some number of months after the having and that would just mean that there is a, a cycle and i don't think that we will continue to have that cycle so that means it has to be before the having and before having means very very soon gotcha but uh yeah like when we make our uh, so the, the 1 million thing is really for fun it's for entertainment and i some people are really angry saying you shouldn't make predictions but Uh, I think BitPain also gets a lot of flack for it, too, because he's also making it. But we don't believe that you can, one, predict. And two, Bitcoin is going to go to a million sooner or later. So it's just like we're predicting, you know, next year there's going to be a summer, right? It's an inevitability. So it's it's for fun. But uh, it's really just a, a number out there that we can anchor to and, you know, have fun with and entertain ourselves as we go into this next bull market.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and so, and we were talking about the diminishing returns uh, thing earlier on. Right. So, and I think that's an American HODL did a great job uh, covering this, you know, and he, I think he put like a squirtle with the, with the saxophone. Like someone tells me that's like, we can't hit 500. My brain is thinking this. Um, so, okay. Um, so then if you were to put, I hate getting into price prediction stuff. Um, maybe let's just avoid that topic altogether. Um, but okay.
1: I think I forgot one point. Um, I was saying when we make, um, projections for things like Bitcoin bonds, we use a uh, 60% uh, median returns every year. So if, uh, we started from, um, 30 something last year in 10 years time, we should be at just about 3 million per coin. So that's a very, very conservative estimate. And that's based on historical price appreciation after 2014 or so. So, you know, 1 million in the next uh, couple of years is almost definitely in line with a very conservative estimate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I would agree with that. And let me, let me ask you something else. So, you know, we are getting to the top of the hour and I do want to be respectful of your time. Um, what are you most excited for? um within the next five to ten years like what what do you i mean obviously nation state adoption (laughs) but what is you know at, at the top of your mind what is something that you feel so passionate about you're like wow this is this is going to happen i'm a content creator so for me it's like uh media bitcoin content cross uh crossing the uh, breaking the Bitcoin echo chamber. Now it's being talked about in the mainstream consciousness. As a content creator, that's my dream. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I hope for. So what are you most excited for, Samson Mao?
1: Well, I think I'm most excited about reaching the state of hyper-Bitcoinization where everyone is just using Bitcoin. And I think we'll, we'll have so much more efficiencies in the world where you can travel and just spend Bitcoin without having to go to the little kiosk and converting your 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 dollars to pesos or euros or whatever and you just save a lot of time and i think it'll make international trade better too if everyone is trading on that bitcoin standard so really it's just uh being able to enjoy life on on bitcoin whether you're traveling or trying to save because right now if you're trying to save you can't really do it in the fiat system you have to invest your money to save but on Mm -hmm. a bitcoin standard you can simply save so Bitcoin just streamlines so many things when we all adopt it as a standard.
0: 100%. And I think the Aqua Wallet is just one step towards that, You know, enabling that that seamlessness um, where we are currently in time. Anyways, uh, Samson, this was truly an honor. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Guys, check out the Aqua Wallet. Go to aquawallet.io. Check out uh, jan3.com. Uh, and uh, Samson, thank you so much for coming on the show and hope to have you back on in a couple months or so. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. If you enjoyed the show, smash that like button. Consider subscribing if you feel like we provided you value. Uh, Tune into the Monday show. Simply Bitcoin Live will be back 12.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But until then, take care, everybody. Have it. Enjoy your weekend.